Welcome again to another podcast of the Chip and Gary Tennis Show. Chip Hooper and Gary Plock. Chip's not here right now, but I got the chance to talk to somebody today that kind of has a great history and love and affection for tennis in Puerto Rico. Uh, when I was a young boy in the 12 and under playing these tournaments and these national tournaments and there would always be a contingency of, uh, of people from Puerto Rico that would come play these tournaments and uh, it was because there was a man uh, that went down to Puerto Rico and didn't know a word of English I believe and learned it Welby Van Horn who was a such a player that uh, got to be a very good player way back in the 30s and anyway he went down there we're going to talk about that with a player that came up from Puerto Rico as junior player named Drew Hafitz Hafitz how do I how do I pronounce that Drew Drew Hafitz now Drew was from Puerto Rico and Drew's a guy that I met later in life um Matter of fact, it was a couple of years ago we started playing some doubles, and one thing about Drew is that Drew plays with the wood rackets, and uh, Drew is a very, very good uh, tennis player and uh, grew up uh, in, in a really interesting time for tennis in Puerto Rico. Drew, tell us about it. Tennis was just booming in Puerto Rico. It wasn't. It, it was just booming, and and um, why was it was booming? Tell us about Welby Van Horn. Welby Welby was one of was probably the, the the one who started the tennis in tennis in Puerto Rico. And how did he, he get to how did he get to Puerto Rico? He was from America, uh, mainland, right? He was from right? California. He was he was originally from California, and then uh, he played the uh, he played the tour for, for he played the tour. He had he had uh, he was one of the he was one of the youngest. One of the youngest at that time to, to get to the finals of, of, of the U.S. Open, and he lost. He, he played a match against. He played against Bobby Riggs. It's now, now that was called the U.S. Nationals at the time, I, I guess, yeah, wasn't it at exactly. Forest Hills? Uh huh. Well, exactly. well, he was a final, so he was a great player. And then I wonder why he went down to Puerto Rico. Is there any? Do you have any information on that? Why? No, I have no information. He just, I guess he just liked the weather. He just, uh, he got a job over at the Caribbean Hilton. Yeah, which let's. Was a, a major hotel in Puerto Rico. What now? The 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 Hilton there was. It was kind of the mecca of tennis, really, at that time, wasn't it? I mean, it was just yes, a. It was. it was a resort. How many how many clay courts did they have down there? To tell you the truth, they only had four hard courts. Is that right? Only four hard yes. courts. And, four hard courts and, and a wall. And he made so many players out of that. How important was that wall? I bet it got a lot of use. Yes, he emphasized the wall pretty much. He emphasized the wall very much. Now you're over you in. Know, if you, go ahead. He emphasized the wall very much, and if you didn't have a practice partner, or if you you had downtime, you. He would emphasize going to the wall, working on your mechanics, on, on its strokes. 
What is the? Well, that's pretty much. The wall is the the wall is uh, not only working on the mechanics of your strokes, but what hitting against the wall. What will it do for you in tennis, Drew? Well, what it do is it'll work on your mental toughness, the consistency, getting mental tough, mental toughness. You know, learning how to keep repeating the same stroke every single time, and and then working and working on putting on technique. Yeah, and it also gives you that rhythm like you're actually playing somebody where the ball's coming back all the time. So in, instead of just learning and hitting a shot, you're actually having to play the wall in a sense because if you hit a ball at an angle, the wall puts it off at an angle and you've got to move and you've got to get into position and then you get the ball back and try to hit it in a place to where the wall's not going to spray it all over the other angle. So, you know, I, I think that kids really need to get on walls instead of taking tennis lessons these days so much and try to learn the game that way. Would you think Welby would agree with that? Yes, I do agree. I, I agree with, with, with both with both situations. I think playing, if you have, if you can play with somebody, that's great. If not, use the wall. The wall is there's nothing better than the wall. What was uh, when Welby got to Puerto Rico? And I know you're a little bit younger than when weren't around, or you were very young at this time. But uh, talk about Charlie Passarell, who is kind of his first big student that did well. Charlie, Charlie, Charlie was the first one that will be, will be, you know, Charlie and his brother Stanley. Um, you know, I, they just came out of Wilby's Wilby system. There, there was a system that will be used and, and because of Charlie and because of, 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 of Stanley, uh, Welby, uh, Welby system is, is very, it's a very basic system, and, easy, and, and it's very easy to learn. What, now, what is that? What is that? What, how, what is that easy system? Can you give us well, a little? The, system, the, first, the first thing that he would, he would have you work on is the balance. Once you got the balance, then he would work on um, the balance, the grip, he would work on the grip. He would work on then the stroke and then strategy. I see. So, so everything started off. Everything started off with the feet, with the balance, with the balance, with footwork. That's very interesting that you say the footwork and the balance because it seems like today that's one of the things that's not um, talked about as much as the stroke production and going right into the strategy of how to play. And, and, and then he also worked on the idea of, of using of, 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 of using a lot of, of a lot of control. Everything was with control, not hitting the ball hard. It was more. It was a little bit of a defensive theory system, but it, you know, good defense. A great defense is a is a good offense. And that's what he emphasized on. If you can return the ball every single time. Let the other let the opponent make the error. So he 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 was in that uh, 
camp that said that uh, tennis is a game of errors. And I'll tell you, uh, Charlie Passarell had a big game. He had a big serve and a big forehand. He was coming forward all the time and uh, really, you know, played a little bit like Arthur Ashe, I thought, and in that era. And uh, uh, one of the guys that came after that that kind of embodied what you're talking about with Welby, teaching that control and feel, um, was who was tell us about the next fellow that came on? Uh, next fellow probably would have been either it would have probably either been uh, Alberto Carrero, where he was one of the top juniors in the in the nation. Yes, he was. He went to he went to he went to Rice University. What about um, Tico, his little brother? Did he go to school in the uh, states as well? Uh, yes, he went to school also. And, and then you had uh, Freddie De Jesus was, was one of his five people. He went to the University of Michigan. And of course, and the, of course Antonio Ortiz was before Freddie. Antonio Ortiz also went to the University. He went to the University of Georgia. And yeah. you had, you had us, and then you also had, you know, Manuel Diaz, Manuel Diaz, who now is the uh, head coach of the, Univers- of the Bulldogs of the University of Georgia. Boy, he's done a great job. I, I remember uh, Manny taking me in the dorm room when I was visiting Georgia, and I really had a hard decision between Texas and Georgia. I, in those days, you could visit all the schools you wanted to, and I visited about 10 of them. And, um, and it was either Georgia or Texas, and I really had a hard time telling his coach, Dan McGill, that it was going to be Texas. But uh, they, they did all right without me. And Manny has several, you know, I'm so proud of the way that he has taken that program over and continued Coach McGill's legacy and actually improved on that legacy uh, with all the NCAA championships that he's garnered there. And and not only that, but just uh, having the program for over 30 years. I think he's – I may be wrong about that, but maybe uh, he was assistant coach for Coach McGill for a while, and I, I want to say he's been there 30 years, but it's hard to believe, but it might be true. But um, talk about the Diaz's because uh, Manny had a brother, Ricky, that was a pretty good player and a bulldog himself. Yeah, he was. He was a great player. I mean, the system that will be used brought it brought out so many good players from from Puerto Rico. You know, they might have they might have been one or two that made it that made it professionally from Welby system, but but um, the, the 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 amount of, of juniors that came out of Puerto Rico and were national champions were. It was just astonishing. Yeah, I, I, I remember, and, and there were, you know, families involved. And one person that we're glossing over a little bit uh, had the most beautiful sister named Gia that uh, I'd ever seen when I was 13 or 14 was Miguel Brasi. Miguel, yeah. He was a top three or four player in the country in the maybe the 14 and unders uh, and the 12s. Uh, when I was coming up, we were the same age, but uh, he had a little bit of a two-handed backhand, didn't he? Yes, he did. He was a lefty with a two-handed backhand. It's kind of interesting how in tennis, you know, at different stages of life, uh, players are 
better than other players, and then later on, the ones that weren't as good that kept on doing it became better. And, uh, you know, you think of, in my era anyway, I think of Miguel Brashi when I'm growing up and say, gosh, what a great player. And then at uh, Ohio State, uh, Francisco Gonzalez came on and became a better player than Miguel, uh, even though Francisco, I, I think I dispatched a Francisco, I'm sorry about that Francisco, at Kalamazoo, uh, but Francisco won many ATP doubles tournaments and was top 60 in the world when I turned around and I'm sure went further than that, but you talk about a guy that had a big, ended up having a big game. Francisco reminded me of Pancho Gonzalez because he just had this big, hard game and he was a big guy, and his last name was Gonzalez. You still there? And, 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 there, were, and there were, and talking about Francisco and Pedro and Ernie Fernandez, who also went to Ohio State and was in the top 200 in the world. Great player, yes. Later on, yes. Later, later on, I mean, there were really, really practically, besides Welby, there was later on, uh, when when Francis and 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 then Pedro came up, there was another there was another general another couple of uh, another uh, place to play, which was which was over at the uh, public facility over at uh, Adore, which was called the Bob Rich Tennis Court. What was it called? The Bob Rich. Baldridge Tennis Courts, and that was a public yeah. facility. Because now Welby was at a club, so how did that work? When did the when did when did the juniors play, and when did the adults? Well, you know, they, they had hotel guests. I don't know. I, I, I came after along after that, but the way he established it was that he let the members. It was a not only a uh, it was a hotel for, for for guests and it was also a membership over at the Caribbean Hills. I what see. What he would do is that. Go ahead. Sorry, what he would do is that he would have you play doubles from eight until eight until maybe How many courts were there at the park? The cars, there were, um, there were about eight courts. Uh-huh, so there were more courts at the park. And those were yeah. hard courts also? They were hard courts also. So were there no clay courts in Puerto Rico? Well, the clay courts pretty much came afterwards, but they were over at, uh, they didn't really have any clay courts. Most of the, most of the courts in Puerto Rico were, were hard. Well, that's interesting because Freddie De Jesus had such a great clay court game, and he was a master of touch and finesse. And I remember him just giving fits to Vitas Gerolitis in Louisville on the clay. Uh, and I'll never forget this: they were having this long three-set match, and it was really hairy in the third. 
and the, you know back in back in that day in the uh, 70s tennis was more of a spectator sport there were you know 2000 people in the stands in Louisville at the Louisville Tennis Center and uh, Freddie hits this deft drop shot that hits the top of the net and goes over and Vetus Gerolitis turns to the crowd and he puts his arms out and he says all this and I could be at the pool over at the Holiday Inn right now and it just kind of broke everybody up and uh, it was funny and I don't really remember who won the match but uh, it could have been either one of them but um, Freddie kind of embodied what you're talking about about Welby uh, being a control freak right and I don't mean he was a control freak but the way he wanted you to play tennis no. He wanted he wanted more of of, of, of his theory is more of defensive you know be defensive get every ball back and then and then when you and just by controlling controlling where to hit the ball how what the, what the velocity of the shot it was it was all all sort of. Very, very fluid, very, very easy going, very, it was just very easy. And, and you know, that was back in wood racket days and things were different. Now, um, I notice you're one of the few guys that uh, is using a wood racket. Why do you still use wood? Well, I use wood because I get more of a feel, feel from the shot. I get more of a control from the shot. And believe it or not, you can still hit power with the with the with the wood rocket because of the mass of the wood. Yeah, that's true. The yeah, people don't realize that uh, back in the day, uh, the serves were actually a lot harder than the ground strokes were comparatively because they the serving with the wood rackets hasn't gotten that much harder. But uh, that's interesting because there is a lot of mass in the throat of the wood of the racket. And uh, but that's interesting because some of those rackets, Drew, they must be 40, 50 years old that you're using. Yes, yes, but it's, it's a great teaching tool. It's a great teaching tool. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Great, great. I have even have sometimes where I go play or, or give a lesson and there's a junior over there and they wonder what, what I'm doing, what I'm using. I give it to them and let them use it and they have fun with it. It's, it's, I think everybody should know a little bit about should know about the history of, of, of whatever they're, they're they're picking up. That's a good point. That is a good point. Uh, so, Drew, what about uh, Pedro Gonzalez? Did you ever play him in a match? Uh, no, I've never played with him. He was a little bit older. He was older than I was. He was already he was, gone. Yeah, he had, he had gone to Ohio State following his brother's footsteps. I played again. I played against one of his cousins, his cousin Junior Gonzalez, which was a very promising player. Also, I see. We grew up together, and and, and another gentleman, Miguel Nito, who got to the round of 16s at the U.S. Open in, in 1981 or 82. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Now, was he? I guess he came up then after Welby was gone. Is that correct? Well, he was still there, but he had, he had played tennis. Was he had uh, he didn't come up with with us, but not at the same facility. He he came up somewhere else. He came up at uh, 
question, a, a, a place called, a hotel called the Racket Club. You know, which was run by, which was the Racket Club near the, near the San Juan Airport. And the director of tennis there was Juan Rios. Oh, I see. You know, I'm thinking back what you're talking about, Welby, and and how he preached control, and that's interesting because a lot of the all the guys from Puerto Rico had control, but some of them had the power too, and just had the personality and body type or whatever to have a different game. For example, Manuel Diaz, uh, when he played at Georgia, he was like a cat. He was so athletic and so long. And he was all over the net. He was coming forward all the time. And, of course, in those days, the courts were faster. But, you know, it really gave you an advantage if you were an athlete. And so, I, I, I you know, I, I didn't play Manny in college, but I played Freddie DeJesus in college and just kind of noticed that when you, you think about uh, players and how they all uh, – improve at different stages now drew you're you're still you're still playing a lot of tennis aren't you yes sir i am yeah and you teach some tennis too in florida yeah i see and what's uh what's tennis done for you in your life what's the main thing it's done for you it's made me me proud of what i'm doing it's made me made me more confident, more confident, uh, sure of myself, hmm. and some of the decisions I've, I've had to make. Uh, it's a healthy sport, meaning it's a very social sport. What about this? Pi- what about this pickleball that everybody's playing? Are you playing? You seeing pickleball around? Uh, I see pickleball around. I see pickleball around everywhere, and it's a very good sport because it helps you work on your half volley. <laughs> so you're 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 analogizing it to helping your tennis game to play pickleball, but yes. it's. Uh, yes. uh, go ahead. And another person which I like to acknowledge is, is uh, Ramon Almonte. Oh, okay, go ahead. Now, say that say that name again. Ramon Almonte. Oh, Ramon Almonte, yes, I remember yes, that. he went to the University of uh, Michigan also. He went to the University of Michigan. He was very quick. He was another, another very good player. Was he, uh, where was he in relation to Freddie's age? Uh, he was he was younger than younger than Freddie. Yeah, he was around Tony's age. He's around Tony's age. Tony Ortiz's age. Yeah, I think I think I remember him being around my age. So he was maybe around Francisco's age, and Ricky. Around that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And uh, let's see, I'm trying to think. Ramon Almonte. Um, I'm trying to think if there was who else? Bobby Ordaz. Bobby Ordaz. Bobby Odas was another one. Mm-hmm. He was a good player, I remember, in the 14s and the 16s, it seemed like. That's for, for, a small country, for a small country like Puerto Rico, they had produced a lot of, a lot of good players. <laughs> Boy, that's for years. sure. That's for sure. Um, what about uh, what about now? I know you don't live in Puerto Rico. You live in Florida, but what's happening down there in the tennis scene? Do you have any idea? Well, there are... There are People, there are academies for, uh, sprouting up in, in different towns now. 
and getting more more tennis uh, around to, to, to somewhat to a lot of the uh, underprivileged kids there. And, uh, and of course, there is following in TV footsteps is Monica Puig. Uh-huh. So she's on the tour, and she's top 100 in the, top 100 in the world, and she's doing very well herself. So it sounds like tennis is still alive and well in Puerto Rico. Are they, are, are they having at these academies people coming in from all over, or is it just more of an academy for to help children like Andre Agassi does with his schools? Well, I think it's more of helping the kids around around the the, uh, the, the towns nearby and, and so on and so forth. I see. So it's not yeah. like an IMG voluntary type of thing. No, it, no, it isn't. I see. I see. Well, Drew, what uh, what parting shots would you give to our listeners in terms of how they can help themselves be better tennis players or enjoy the game of tennis more? Well, just have fun. Try to make. Just try to uh, not not uh, if honestly. Not, not try to measure up to the people that are on the tennis channel. You may want to look at them and and, 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 and look at the and look at the overall board of tennis on on the tennis channel. But I would not emulate them because um, they're them. They started when they were young and and uh, and. Um, and you don't want to um, get any injuries and enjoy and enjoy life and enjoy tennis. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Drew. If I can uh, kind of read between the lines on that, I coach people that way too. Is you know, I'm not the athlete I was when I was 25, even though it wasn't a great athlete, maybe, but. Uh, that you're not going to do the same things as some pro on there, and so you have to play within the style of the way you play and try to maximize that the best you can. And and like you say, have fun. I, you know, it is so much more fun for me to go play tennis, which I still do, um, and enjoy whether I win or lose just getting a great exercise and having good conversation with people that I'm playing with and uh, that and tennis tennis is and, and, and Mango Man said this on his interview is they're good people in tennis and I don't know what it is but people that play tennis just always seem to be almost always good people don't you agree with that yes. well Drew thanks for your yeah. time Thanks for your time today, and uh, I hope to talk to you again, and, and I'm going to get over your way, and we're going to play a little doubles. How about that? Uh, yes, I would like that. All right. Well, this is thanks, Drew, Drew Hafitz. Drew, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. Have a great evening. You too.